This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Good morning, everyone. To those of you that may not know me, my name is Charlie Vitus. I'm uh, one of the assistant pastors here. Filling in for Pastors Ron and Susan, they are away because they're celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. So, <clears throat> yep. So let them know that congratulations the next time you see him, and also that you appreciate him as a pastor, all the things that he does for us. Um, pastors need our encouragement, and so I'm sure that's important. Today we're going to be talking about a couple different things, um, mostly what happens when we get into trouble. And so I want to step through some things. We're going to talk about trouble, and then sometimes trouble causes us to have doubts about where God is and all of that. Then after that, we're going to talk about the solution, which is prayer. And then we're also going to end up with, you know, what's the end result? And what happens in the end? And what's the end goal? And, and it shouldn't be what's our end goal. It should be what, what is God's end goal through the troubles that we're allowed to go through. So troubles are kind of like rain. We always get it, and um, you never really know when it's going to come unless you're, you know, checking the weather app all the time. So we're always going to get, you could be in the middle of trouble, you could be coming out of trouble, or you're going to be in some trouble. So uh, rest assured. And, and I guess I want to clarify, the trouble that I'm talking about is things that happen that are outside of your control. Now, there are some troubles that we get that are self-induced. That's called consequences. It's like poke the bear. Guess what? You're going to be in trouble. So same thing with sin. We don't want to play with sin. That's going to cause consequences. And those are, you know, basically your own fault if you're going to um, and go in that direction. So there are other things. We live in a fallen world. Um, you know, God initially, I, when I was teaching Sunday Super Church and before that Sunday school, I would talk about God's plan for the whole world. And I would say there's plan A and there's plan B. Plan A was he made Adam and Eve and he put them in paradise. He put them in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. We didn't have troubles. We didn't have uh, disease. We didn't have sickness. We didn't have death. We didn't have ticks. We didn't have mosquitoes. We didn't have malaria. So all those things. Uh, so I, basically, God said, "Hey, you got one rule here. You know, don't eat. You know, from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil." And um, of course, we know the story. Adam and Eve disobeyed, and they were kicked out of the garden. So that was God's original plan. We didn't have to be in this situation. So, and some people say, "Well." You know, I wouldn't have done that. Adam did that, but I wouldn't. Well, guess what? The, the Bible also says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So it may not have been that same decision, but we would have disobeyed God in, this, in a similar manner. So in the same way, we all suffer from those um, consequences. So now we're in plan B. And plan B is what, you know, we, we call a fallen world. It's not perfect. There's plenty of bad things in this world. There's plenty of things that God didn't initially intend for us to have to deal with. But... Given those circumstances, that's where we're at. We live in a fallen world. We, you know, we have to deal with troubles. And um, so I want to talk about, you know, what do we do in the middle of those troubles? And um, how do we, how do we, should we turn to God when we have those situations? So last Sunday, we did the wrap-up for VBA. For those of you that uh, may have been involved with VBA, it's our vacation Bible adventure. Um, again, this with this... Uh, you know, part of the prop here that's still left is, but it was a week-long thing. We had a lot of children come in, a lot of children that we shared the gospel with, and um, I was a part of the drama team. So on the drama team, we kind of act things out, help to convey the kids, uh, bring a, a message to them about God's plan of salvation in a, a simple way that they can understand. And we started off the week with uh, this story here, uh, with, you know, where is God, where is God when... Or, when God seems distant, but it was more the starting story was the one that you're familiar with, and that's, you know, disciples right on the boat in the middle of a storm. And um, I wanted to say that, you know, back on VBA, we made a huge impact, you know, for the children in this community. And I think Pastor Ron shared, um, I think it was 159 children that made a decision to receive Christ into their lives. So, yeah. Absolutely. To God be the glory. And um, again, those are some numbers. There were other kids that maybe didn't make a decision this, you know, last week, but they, um, we planted seeds. 
You know, and that's, that's really our job. Our job, you know, it says we, you know, that God brings the harvest. Our job is to plant the seeds. And so that's kind of what we were doing all week long. Um, the good news is a lot of those other kids heard the message, took it home. Maybe even, you know, some of those kids are sharing it with their friends. Um, but, you know, our part was, to, you know, to plant those seeds. And some of them, hopefully, in time, will come to know the Lord, you know, as their, as their Savior. So um, it's a great uh, impact on the community. And um, continue to pray for those kids in their decision and in their walk. So uh, I also want to preface today's message to say that we're a people that likes happy endings. You know, that we almost kind of want to get to the, to the end of the story because we know, okay, you know, if, if it's a, a fairy tale or it's a movie on TV or whatever it is, usually, okay, let's get to the end because it's all going to work out. It's all going to be good. And, you know, our tendency is to, again, maybe it's the way we're wired. Our brains like that good ending. We want to, um, you know, dwell on that part and not, okay, there's some troubles, there's some trials. Um, so I want to try for you guys to forget what the happy endings are. And again, a lot of the stories where Jesus did miracles, we know there's a happy ending. We forget, I forget what some of those people were going through, what it was like. They were normal people like you and I. These were no superheroes. They were just people going, through, going throughout their day, dealing with problems. Some of them were unsurmountable until Jesus came along. So it was almost like you can just you know, forget the things that you know and look at it again for the first time. And, and I liken it to, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Men in Black. If, if you haven't, it's not about guys that are at a funeral. It's about uh, these is super like um, organization, uh, uh, underground organization kind of that uh, they, they in the movie show that there's aliens that visit planet Earth. And these guys are kind of like there to hide it from everybody else because they figured if everybody else really knew that there were aliens among us all the time, they'd freak out. So they're always there. And if, if there's a accident, you know, something happens and somebody has an encounter and a bunch of people see an alien, they show up on the scene and they kind of try to get rid of all the evidence and they call everybody together that, that saw what happened and saw an alien and they pull out this, looks like a pen and it's got a light on it and they're like, hey, everybody gather around, look at the light and then they flash and this white light hits everybody and it kind of erases their memory. <laughs> so we're going to try to do that today. Just kind of forget about the things you know about the ending and put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself, again, this first story we're going to talk about is uh, the disciples out in the boat uh, and a storm comes up. And again, these guys are, are ordinary men. And, and back in those days, there's no lifeguard. There's no life preservers. There's no Doppler radar, life jackets, distress signals, none of that stuff. They're stuck in a boat. A storm comes up and they're scared for their lives. Um, and again, a lot of these guys were fishermen. So um, they, sure they've been on the ocean before or on the sea and seen some of these storms. So this is not their first time out there in a storm. And yet they're scared. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. These guys are scared. And um, I, I was thinking about uh, like some of the times I've taken my kids to amusement parks. And, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different rides you go on. And, of course, when they're teenagers, they always want to go on the, the ones that are really scary, the ones that really challenge them. Of course, I've got to go with them. Um, and, and I remember one of them was called, uh, at least at Lake Compass, I think it was called Scream. And I think they, 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 you're sitting in this uh, seat, your legs are kind of hanging out, and there's like four sides, just a big column that brings, brings you all the way up to the top. And I think the one here uh, is like, I want to say it's like 60 feet. But we went to Six Flags, which in... Uh, I think it was in Agawam, and that one I think was 120 feet. So you go up 120 feet. Now the steeple out here is 90 feet high, so this is going up above that. And basically, what they do is bring you all the way up, and then just drop you, and it's free fall. And again, everybody's screaming because you like you're scared. I mean, that's that's the whole idea of these rides, whatever they are, is to try to induce fear into you. So now. And again, there's some accidents sometimes on amusement parks, but for the most part, you got these harnesses on, you got padding on, you're not, you know, going anywhere, and so you're safe. You should know that, and yet still we sense fear and we, you know, react that way. And I was thinking, you know, oftentimes when I was with my kids and we're sitting in a row, whatever the ride is, and they're looking at me like, "Hey, if Dad's freaking out, this is pretty scary." But you know, so I got to keep my cool, even if I am freaking out. So uh, you know, because. 
they're looking to me to see how I'm reacting and like, is this, is this safe? Is this okay? And they can tell by the look on my face, it's safe. So if I'm doing that, they, they get a little more peace about it. But it doesn't mean you're not scared, but they sometimes look to their, to their dad for peace. And in the same way, we need to look to our Heavenly Father because we're going to be scared. We're going to not know, hey, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen in this, you know, with this medical situation or my marriage situation or whatever. I don't know how it's all going to work out. So the, 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 you know, the message kind of in that is let's look to our Heavenly Father because he's got, he's got the answers. He's going to get us through. So let's open up uh, our Bibles, or at least on the screen, we'll have the verses uh, starting in Matthew, verse 8, 23. It says, then he got in the boat, he being Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, again, at this point, they're his disciples. He's told them he's the son of God, that he has the power to do these things. And, and, and I guess, you know, again, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. Okay, you said that, but maybe at this point they hadn't seen a lot of his miracles, and they didn't know what to believe. But... Um, it is almost interesting. He says to him, you have little faith. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a storm, it's not like being in one of those rides where I'm all, you know, buckled in and safe and it's been tested and proven and everything else. The, the, again, these are old rickety boats in those days. And um, waves, they said, the waves are coming over the side. They think they're going to drown. They're fishermen. They've been through this before. I'm thinking, if I'm in the middle of that, I probably... I'd probably pee my pants and, and tell the disciples, oh, that was just a wave that splashed over on me, you know? But, but that's the kind of fear that they must have been going through. And he says, you know, you of little faith. He knew where their hearts were at. This is no, like, surprise to Jesus. He knew that. But he, I think what he was basically saying is, it doesn't really matter what the size of the storm is. It doesn't really matter what the structural integrity of the boat is. What it really matters is, I'm here with you. I'm the son of God. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to remember. So he had a way of uh, first showing him, you know, the power that he has, but then talking to him and, and letting him know that, hey, when, this, when these things happen, you know, fear not. In fact, in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid or fear not 365 times throughout the Bible. So I guess you got one of those for every day of the year. You know, that's God's message to you. Fear not. So, again, they're in the company of Almighty God. He's the one who makes the wind and the waves. He's the one who created all, the whole universe. There's nothing in there, nothing in our, in our universe that he doesn't know and that he doesn't control. And, that, and us being his, his disciples, no matter how fierce the storm, we have to remember he's with us. And that changes everything. There's an expression about Jesus, not really in the Bible, but there's a lot of truth in it. It says, sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms his child. So we could be in the middle of a storm. You know, obviously the storm is an analogy to a trouble that we're in. God can calm the storm. He can fix your problem instantly. Doesn't mean that he's going to. Sometimes he has reasons why he's allowing the storm to, to uh, persist. But he will, he will be there to calm us through it. So we're going to look at a couple of uh, stories, in fact, a few of them that we go back to the Old Testament to see about people that were in trouble and how they responded. And we're going to start with Ruth in chapter 1. It says, once, once upon a time, it was back in the days when judges led Israel, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem in, Ju in Judah left home to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. His sons were Malim and Kiliam, all Ephrodites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went to the country of Moab and settled there. So a little bit of background on this. They're living in, in Bethlehem. They're um, part of the Israelites. They're God's followers. And um, they left the land of Bethlehem. They went, and Moab was not, a, not, a land of, not part of where the Israelites were, not part of where God's people were. So the Moabites were worshiping false idols. 
they were actually sacrificing their children on altars. So they're not, it was not a good place. So they went from a place where God's followers were to a place of, of unbelievers, heathen. And so, you know, the message, the background message of that is um, if you're heading in the wrong direction, you're not going to end up in the right place. So some of the, you know, a lot of what we're doing has to do with decisions that we make, too. So we shouldn't expect that we're going to end up in a good place if we're heading in the wrong direction. It goes on to say, Elimelech died and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah, the second Ruth. They lived in Moab for the next 10 years. But the two brothers, Malam and Kiliam, died. Now the woman was left without either her her young men, or her husband. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. So both went until they came to Bethlehem. The whole town of Bethlehem was happy to see them. The women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara which is a word that means bitter. For the all-powerful has, has brought much trouble to me. I went out full, but the Lord has made me return empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has spoken against me. The all-powerful has allowed me to suffer. So here's a case where she's coming back to Bethlehem where she should have been all along and basically blaming God for the things that happened, saying she left uh, full and she's coming back empty. Um, in a situation like that, you know, it, again, put yourself in her shoes. Oh, what's happened to her? She, she lost her husband. She lost, uh, she lost her two sons. She's coming back saying, I have nothing. And um, so it's hard to see God in, in all that, and it's hard to see God when our world falls apart. We're going to come back to this a little bit later. I also want to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Again, Daniel's a guy that was taken out of his homeland uh, through slavery, brought into uh, Babylon. And um, again, they have their customs. They worship false gods. He chose, instead of worshiping false gods, to stay true and continue to pray to his God. He didn't, he didn't buckle, he didn't crumble to the pressures around him to conform. They even wanted him to eat the food you know, from the king's table. It was, again, it wasn't uh, what he'd consider to be um, you know, what his, what his diet w would have been if he would stayed in his homeland. So they're asking him to change what he ate, change how he acted. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to compromise. And uh, again, he found favor with the king because God had allowed him to have wisdom and uh, be a good leader. So he found favor with the king. And of course, some of the other princes were jealous. So obviously, you know the story. They concocted, a, you know, they came up with a law. You can't pray to anybody but the king. And, of course, when they caught him praying to his God, to our God, um, they're like, okay, you're going to the lion's den. Basically a death sentence, you know. And, again, he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's being, he's being honorable to God in his, in his lifestyle, and he never, he never committed any crime. I mean, kind of by their hokey law, he did, but as far as God's concerned, he did not sin. And yet he's going to die. He didn't sin, but he's going to die for what he did. For what he did that was right, he's going to die. Imagine that. Imagine, you know, if that was me, I'd be saying, wait a minute, God, I'm doing what you said. Why? Why is this happening? You know, what else do I need? What should I have done different? And, um, of course, you know, we know that we know the story of the happy ending on that and how God used that. But um, I just want you to think for a minute what it's like to be in trouble, especially trouble that you didn't cause. Another case that was, it was in the New Testament was uh, when Lazarus died. So Martha and Mary were sisters, and their brother was Lazarus, and he was uh, also friends with Jesus. And he was very sick and looked like he was on his deathbed. And so the uh, sister sent a note, sent a message to Jesus like, hey, can you come back? Lazarus is very sick. And the Bible says that Jesus was in a different place, and it was three days. He kind of waited three days before he came back. And, and during those th three days, obviously Lazarus did die, but the sisters might, must have been saying, 
Who's this, you know, this is the son of God. Why does he allow this to happen? Why does he allow this trouble to happen to us or, to, to, you know, death to our brother? He could stop it. Why didn't he? And sometimes that's our question, too. He could stop it. Why didn't he? And um, we're going to get back to that story a little bit later on. But God had a greater, a greater plan. You know, we think about, okay, God, if, just like they thought, hey, God, if you got here, you could heal him just like that. And, and we'd be happy. And God is like, no, yeah, I could. You're right. Okay, God could do that. But he's like, he even you know, says later on, you know, for the benefit of others, he was doing this. For the benefit of the others, he was raising up Lazarus for greater glory. And so that the father would be given even more glory. If he just healed a sick man, great. That's, that's great. That's, that's a miracle, God. But when, when, when people saw him raise a dead man, they're like, whoa, you know, this is like never seen, you know, amazing. And, and so, you know, it shows the power of God, and, it, and God the Father gets more glory, you know, through what, what God did. So we have to remember, through our troubles, through our trials, it's not what is our agenda, it's what's God's, what, you know, what does God have? Because God's got the greater plan in mind for us. So we're going to uh, go back to another story in the Old Testament. This is uh, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And um, just to set the stage... King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of all of Persia. It's a huge kingdom. It's like the, it was the biggest kingdom in the world at that time, the known world. And um, he set up a statue, a 50-foot statue, and wanted everybody, whenever they, throughout the day, whenever they played the music, everybody was supposed to bow down and worship this statue. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are um, Israelites following God, the one true God. They're not going to bow down to a statue. They're, they're told not to worship false gods. So um, this, to kind of set the stage, this had happened. They were playing the music, and they noticed these three guys are not bowing down. And they come and tell the king, hey, you got these guys here. They're not bowing down per your decree. And so this got Nebuchadnezzar mad. So in Daniel 3, starting in verse 13, it says, Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm giving you a second chance. But from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go on your knees and worship the statue I made. If you don't worship it, You'll be pitched into a roaring furnace. No questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? <laughs> Challenge accepted. Um, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace. And anything else you can cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship your gold statue you set up. So again, had they known the outcome, they could talk like this. I mean, they were basically talking trash to the king. Like, come on. I mean, here's the most powerful man in the world. He thought he was a god, King Nebuchadnezzar. So you're basically, you know, even if they hadn't already done something wrong, just by talking to him this way would have been enough for a death sentence. So their hope and their trust Again, let's not look at the happy ending. Their hope and their trust is in God. They're about to die. Again, they didn't sin. They did no wrong. They were unjustly going to be sentenced to death. And that didn't deter them from trusting God for the outcome. Picking up again in verse 24. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, Didn't we throw these three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. But look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the high God, come out here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. All the important people, the government leaders, and king's counselors gathered around to examine and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men. Not a single hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. So 
This is what God has the ability to do. He can protect us. And again, for his, for his glory, not for ours. Yeah, he saved those guys. And I think the king's going to realize he can have all the false gods he wants. This is the power of the one true God. So it was, God was sending a message, and God was rescuing um, his followers. But again, when we're in the middle of troubles, and you know our troubles don't last always two minutes. It could be two months. It could be two years we're in the middle of a trouble. We're, you know, if we're crying out to God, wondering, God, why? And how come you're not answering my prayers? How come you didn't do what I wanted you to do? Why am I still in the middle of this trouble? Well, we're not alone. And uh, it's only being human to, to question those things, to have doubts. This is what um, David said. And, and you have to remember, David... In the Bible, of all people in the Bible, God talks about David. David was called a man after God's own heart. So it doesn't mean that he was perfect. He certainly wasn't. He, uh, he had his share of problems. He you know, committed adultery, and, and once he committed adultery, then um, he had the, um, the husband of the wife that he committed adultery with sent up to the front line so that he'd be killed. He kept trying to get rid of them in all kinds of ways, but he couldn't. So finally, he sent them up to the front lines. So he's, in, this, in essence, he's like involved with second-degree murder. So David certainly did some wrong things in his life. But I think why God called him a man, man after his own heart is God, David was real. David wasn't afraid to cry out to God and say, God, where are you? Why don't you hear my prayers? He, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't putting on a facade. He wasn't acting any different. In, uh, to God that he would in real life. And I think God appreciated that honesty. And, and he wants the same from us. You know, um, We don't always understand, and that's okay. You know, The Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God's ways are above our ways. So if we don't understand what God's doing, that's, that, that can be expected. So here's some of the things that uh, David said in the middle of his, some of his troubles. In Psalm 4, verse 1, it says... Answer me when I call, O, o God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 6, verses 3 and 4. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Not because of anything David deserved, but because of God's unfailing love. And the, probably the best verse he, that David says that shows his true feelings, Psalm 10, verse 1 says, Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Again, this is a, a guy that's speaking what's really on his heart. And, you know, we're kind of talking about why does God seem distant? It's evident through what David is saying. God seemed distant to David, a, a man after God's own heart. So doubting God's plan or what appears to be an action may be typical. So in the Bible, there's a person that's famous for doubting. Who's, who's the guy that doubted in the Bible? Thomas. Thomas. Okay, so <laughs> I, feel, I was thinking about this. I feel sorry for Thomas. Now, here's a guy, you know, followed, he was one of the, you know, obviously a disciple of God, followed God until, until the end, was actually martyred, um, and went on preaching the gospel. But he did one time doubted um, that God had come, you know, to, to see the disciples. And, um, and for that one mistake, again, the Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas. The Bible just calls him Thomas. But we've given him that nickname. And I was thinking, boy, how would it be if, uh, you know, we were remembered for our one mistake? You know, if, if Larry's telling a story and he, he got caught lying, every time from now on, it's, oh, there's lying Larry. Hey, Larry, how's it going? Hi, Lion Larry. Or Stephen gets caught stealing something. So for the rest of his life, it's stealing Stephen. You know, what, what if that happened to us? You know, thankfully, we have a God that uh, forgives us our sins and, and doesn't remember that anymore. But, you know, poor Thomas, he, made them, he, got, he got labeled uh, for one mistake that he made in his life. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a heap of trouble and it seems like our world is falling apart and God seems distant. The answer is to pray. And some people say, well, I prayed once and it didn't work. Well, that's not what God's talking about. God wants, um, you know, the Bible says that we're to pray without ceasing. 
but I, I was studying through some of the things in the Bible, reasons why our prayers aren't answered. And uh, one of them is, you're not spending time getting close to God. You know, God's not a, God's not a vending machine. You know, I think sometimes we think of God like that. The only time we talk to God is when we're in trouble. And we're, okay, shoot up a prayer, pull the button, I need some cash, God. I need a, a new job, God. I need to uh, fix this problem with my family, trouble, pull the vending machine, out pops our solution. That's not God. That's not the God that we serve. God calls, you know, God is going to hear our prayers when we have a close relationship with him. And that means walking with God all the time, not just calling out to him when we're in trouble. In John 5.15, it says, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So God is telling us he wants that close relationship. He wants us to be spending time all the time with him. Um, so that when it comes time that there's a need, we, you know, he knows us and we know him. And he's going to um, listen to our prayers. But he wants that relationship with you. And I would say, um, you know, if you're, if you're not spending time every day with God, start. It's one of the best things you'll ever do. You can, you know, it doesn't have to be that you spend three hours a day praying. Sometimes people um, look at things like, and see, think that's what they need to do. Start with two minutes. Start with five minutes. You know, get, get a habit. And most of us will turn on something during the day that's not, say, work-related. We're, we're, we're going on to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, turning on the TV. Before you turn on one of those devices, just say, hey, Starting, to, starting today, before I turn that device on, I'm going to spend two minutes. I'm going to spend five minutes just talking to God. And just tell him, you know, it's just like you would talk with your friend or your spouse. Say, God, here's what I'm going through today. Here's, here's, here's what my day was like. He wants to hear from his children. And that's how you build a relationship with God. And, and then if you want to, you know, go deeper, there are things like um, my wife Patty and I, we use the YouVersion Bible. If you haven't heard about it, it's an app on, the, on, the, on your phone, and it's free. And it has the entire Bible on there. And you can listen to it in different translations. You could be, like, you know, if you have a commute, you could put your, put your phone on, hands-free, so it's, it goes through your, you know, your car radio or whatever, and listen to the Bible. And, um, or if you're at home, even better, there's Bible plans. You know, let's say you're struggling with forgiveness or um, finances. There's different um, Bible plans in there that you can use for those studies. And then, you know, you can spend five, ten minutes a day studying God's word. And, and it'll, you know, you know, each day is a different thing. And it might be a five-day plan. It might be a ten-day plan. Some of them are reading through the Bible in a year. But I would encourage you, if you're not already doing that, or you can take the next step, go to the next level with God, spend that time in God's word. He wants to get to know you. And um, there's no substitute for it. There's no quick fix to say, you know, I want the... Um, the, the uh, easy solution on this. I want to get out of this thing quick. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for quality time. So think of all the things that you waste time on and then think how important it is to spend some time with God. Get to know God or get to know God better. Uh, reason number two why your prayers might not be answered. Uh, in Isaiah 59.2, it says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because, your sins, because of your sins, he has turned away. And will not listen anymore. That's some pretty uh, sobering things. Again, we have to be, another habit that we need to be in is to ask God for forgiveness. Uh, there are things that we're doing wrong. need to ask God to, to forgive us. Otherwise, it's going to build a wall. It's like a brick. Every day, if you have a sin, it's, it's a brick in the wall that separates you from God. Don't let those bricks build up. Ask God for, you know, for forgiveness. We don't want to live with unrepentant sin in our lives. And in, um, the next reason would be uh, Mark 4, I'm sorry, Mark 11, verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So, again, there are times where people offend us, and sometimes even like some of the, the people that are reading about in the Bible, they didn't deserve it. You may not have deserved it. You may have been hurt by someone and, and feel that you didn't deserve it. And, and maybe you did your part, you know, and you, you know, sometimes it takes two to, to create a problem. But don't try to justify 
your grudge against someone. Just um, be open and honest about it and ask for forgiveness. And again, you know, every time there's a, a argument or disagreement, it could be 90% one person, 10% the other, 50-50, whatever, however you want to analyze it, you still had a part in it. So don't wait for the other person to ask forgiveness. For your 10% or your 60%, ask for forgiveness. You want God to, be here, to hear your prayers. And the Bible also warns about if you're going to hold a grudge, it's called a root of bitterness. It can grow inside you until it, it consumes you. And um, you, you don't want to go through life like that. The fourth reason is uh, spiritual warfare. And um, I'll say this about spiritual warfare. I think it was C.S. Lewis that talked about sometimes, so, so, so there's heaven and there's hell. There's angels, there's demons. And the Bible's clear that the devil um, is our enemy. And his, his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's out there. And, and some people you know, say, well, the you know, devil's just like the boogeyman. He's not really out. No, he's real. In fact, he would love for you and everybody else in the world to believe that he doesn't exist. It allows him to operate more freely. We need to be, you know, God gave us armor for a reason. Their spiritual armor is to fight against an enemy. It's not just to um, sit, sit by and, and pretend he doesn't exist. So there's an enemy, and the enemy, is, his goal, besides, well, or part of the way he, he kills and destroys is, he would like nothing more than to stop you from communicating with God. He would like nothing more than to, to, to uh, break off your communication with God. However, he does that. And again, we live in a world where we're bombarded with all kinds of electronics and stuff going on. And it's like, we're, we're too busy for everything. And if we're too busy to spend time with God, mission accomplished. It doesn't have to be that the devil does some evil thing that's, you know, um, real scary and, and, um, and, and it can be recognized for what he's doing. He can use the circumstances of this world to keep us from God. That's his, that's his goal. So... Um, we're going to read a passage here in the Bible where Daniel was praying, and his prayer, the angel coming back with the answer to the prayer, was interrupted by a demon. Stopped, his message was stopped by getting to, uh, to David. So in Daniel, we'll pick it up in verse 10. I'm sorry, in chapter 10, verse 11. And this is the angel speaking to Daniel. Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. So basically the angel's explaining, hey, God heard your prayer. I'm, I'm here to bring the message back. And yet I was stopped. And again, this is, you talk about the, uh, the prince of the uh, kingdom of Persia. So even demons have regions that they're over different areas that they're uh, in control of. And they have, you know, like a hierarchy. Just like this angel was saying, hey, I couldn't get there. But Michael, the archangel, so Mike, Michael, the archangel, is a higher up. And so he came and took, you know, took, took care of the, the demon so that the angel could deliver the message. This, in the same way, there's a hierarchy. You know, the Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people so much. But we wrestle against principalities in high places, High places means they're in control over large areas. And again, that, that, that's, that's a, of a concern to us, but it's not that we need to be fearful. We have a God that has, has the answer to these problems. God, there's nothing they can do to stop what God is going to do through our lives if we have that connection with God, if we stay faithful to God. So again, I encourage you know that um, daily time that you spend with God is going to make you strong and, and um Help you to resist the devil. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. So we have that power. We just have to be using it. Don't let it sit on the shelf. 
Now we'll talk a little bit about the, the end goal, or as I mentioned earlier, God's end goal. Remember what Jesus prayed when he was in the garden uh, before he was crucified. He said, um, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And uh, think, of, think of the trouble that you might be in, not as a thing, but as a journey. You know, God's bringing you through something for a reason. Let's go back to the story of Ruth that we started earlier. You know, the story, the story continues after she went to Bethlehem, back to Bethlehem, that she married a godly man, Boaz. And um, together they were married, they had a family, and their son was called Obed. And if you look in um, Matthew, where they have the story, the lineage of uh, where Jesus came from, Obed was in there. Obed, and then um, David later on, and then eventually Jesus. So here it is, Ruth never saw what happened hundreds of years later. But because at that, after she, you know, again, married a godly man and, and turned back to God, followed after God again, God used her in, in the lineage to bring Jesus here to earth. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. She gets a new husband, she gets a new family, we get a new savior, we get a king and a savior. So Following after God, again, she had no idea how God was going to use her story to bring us the Savior of the world. And the same is true for you. You don't know what God is going to do through the trouble that you're in. But if you are, are, are persistent in, in following after God through that and relying on God, he can use it. And you may see the outcome. You may see the end goal. You may not. That's where we trust God. And let's go back to the story of Daniel and finish that up. After God rescued him from the lions in Daniel 6, verse 25 through 27. Then Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world. Again, this is the large, this is the only kingdom in the world right now, the king, kingdom of Persia. All the known world answers to King Darius. <clears throat> Here's what his message says Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, for he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So here's a king that's not a believer, but has seen the miraculous work of God. Had Daniel not gone through the lions then, we don't know how this would have played out. But God used an unbelieving king in the most powerful position in the world, more powerful than a president, more powerful than you know, one country. This was all the known world. And because of what God did through that miracle, he's using him as God's mouthpiece to proclaim his good news and that Daniel's God is the one true God and don't worship the false gods anymore. So it's pretty amazing how God uses the people around our troubled situation to advance his kingdom. Let's go back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and find out what else God did there besides rescue them. In verse 28, it says, Nebuchadnezzar uh, said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They ignored the, king orders, the king's order and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore, I issue this decree. Anyone, anywhere, of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses torn down. There has never been a god who can pull off a rescue like this. <laughs> so this king goes a little bit further and, and threatens people. Like, if you're, if you're not going to get on board with God, you know, you're, you're in big trouble. So he's really using his, uh, his um, pulpit to um, spread the message of what God can do. And so, again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought their story was over. Hey, we got saved from the fire. Cool. That was great. We got out of trouble. Yeah, they did, but... They stood up to the king in defiance and didn't want to worship a false god. And then God did rescue them, but he had something more. He had, uh, you know, this is, I'm going to spread, spread the message 
so that more people can know about the, what I can do for your life. So we're not always going to see that. It's important to remember that. It's not our, it's not our end goal. It's God's. But it, that's where trust comes in, about what, is, what God is going to do with our troubles and how he's going to get us through. So I should say that not all stories you know, have a happy ending. Obviously, the disciples, were, except for um, John, were all martyred. They were all killed for their faith. They spread the gospel um, and paid, paid the ultimate sacrifice with their lives. So I'm not here to say that God is going to fix every problem that you have. God's not saying that either. But God is saying he's going to use those. You know, um, Pastor Ron's favorite verse is, um, is, is amazing. It's called Romans 8, 28. It says, um, for God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God's going to work all things. It doesn't mean, you know, something good he's going to make better. All things means the bad things. It means the troubles. He's going to work it all for good. And his good, good is his definition. Again, we have to try to forget what our agenda is and the things that we'd like to see happen. Because we think we know what's best, but, but we really don't. God does. And that, that's the ultimate show of trust is to um, allow God to work through us to, to get the best that he's going to get, to get the, the ultimate, his end goal, not our end goal. Let's read in James about um, troubles. In uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I don't know about you, but I don't look at troubles as great joy. But, but I think what God is saying here is, 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 is that it's an opportunity for great joy. The end goal for what God can do is great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So if your faith isn't being tested, it really isn't growing. For you to say that... Um, yeah, I believe in God, you know, that, that, that doesn't get you much. You know, the Bible also says that uh, even the devils believe and tremble. So if all you do is your starting place is just you believe, that, that, that's not much in God's eyes. What God's saying is when your faith is tested, that means you're going through trials. What do you do? You know, it's the same thing um, if, you're, if you uh, get, injured, get a serious injury. You know, you're, 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 let's say you're banging with a hammer, hit your nail. What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth, you know? Is it a cuss word? Is it uh, the Lord's name in vain? The things that are inside of you are what comes out when something bad happens. And, the, and God's going to see what, you know, God wants to see. And, and basically, you know, through these trials, see what you're made of. See what your faith is made of. Are you going to rely on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own everything to try to get out of your problems? Or are you going to rely on him? So the opportunities, again, God doesn't cause bad things to happen. We live in a fallen world. And, you know, I, I kind of mentioned that earlier, but a lot of people say, well, why does God cause this thing to happen? Why does God allow cancer? Why does God, God gave us a world that didn't have any of those things? And, and we, we messed it up. And so we're left with a fallen world. And um, so all the things in this world, all the bad things in this world aren't caused by God. Does God allow some bad things to happen in your life? Yeah, he, he could stop them. He allows those things. So he, he's setting up, sometimes allowing those, those troubles to come in and wants to see, wants to build your faith. He wants to make you better. And like it says in here, to be, you know, your endurance will be fully developed. You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So God's going to use bad circumstances to get you where he needs you to be and for him to get the glory. It's kind of like the, the process that they use for um, creating gold. And again, I'm not sure what, what they do nowadays, but in the olden days it was, you know, get a big pot and uh, they, they, you know, put gold nuggets in and, and get a fire going and kind of boil the gold. And when they do that, they bring, it up, bring up the heat, all the impurities, all the dross, they call it, rises to the top. And when it rises to the top, they scrape that off the top. And so they do that enough times, and they've got pure gold. And sometimes the same is true in our lives. You know, sometimes the fire is being turned up, and the impurities in our lives are being burned off, if we'll allow them to. 
So I think that's part of what God wants us to do. So through it all, I would encourage you to trust God, pray to God, and stay obedient to God. Never give up on God. You know, he'll never give up on you. In this song uh, this morning we were singing, it's like, um, he is for you. He is for you. You know, keep remembering that. That's what God wants you to remember is that you're going through tough times. He's got your back. He's going to see this through in a way that, you know, he, you may not appreciate or may not understand at first, but that's where the trust part comes in. Trust God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God of um, all power. And, Father, that you um, control the wind and the waves. And, Father, you know, you know, uh, everything in our lives. Um, you know, you say that the hairs on our heads are numbered, God, and that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground that you don't know about. So, Father, we know you know about the small things and the big things and that we're not in this alone, God. We thank you that you'll go through every storm and every trial with us. And you'll be there to make us perfect and complete. Give us the patience and endurance, Lord, when in the, we're in the middle of trials. Father, um, help us to continually rely on you. Father, help us with our, in our walk with you, that each day we would find the time to grow closer to you, to spend time in your word, to spend time just talking with you, God. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your only son to die in our place and to make a way for us to have fellowship with you, have abundant life, and eventually have eternal life. And we pray and we ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.